are concluding our little uh, small series on prayer, and we were using, I'll remind you, the Acts outline, A-C-T-S, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. So today we come to supplication, and uh, that's a big word, so we're going to have to define it a little bit. Let me just help you with a couple of announcements while you're turning your Bible to uh, John 15. That would be the best spot for you to start, John 15. Um, one is uh, on Fall of Palooza, just as mainly for our church family, we've been advertising there's an illusionist who presents the gospel and a puppet team that presents the gospel. Well, the illusionist did his illusion early and he's disappeared um he he had uh he had forgot that he has a close relative that's getting married he has to leave town so he called this week apologetic obviously um good guy just it just one of those mistakes so we had advertised it so it, if somebody's coming for that you gotta let them know oops sorry that didn't work out but that's okay on operation Cruz's child how many did we pack so far our that class we had, two, I'm glad I asked because I was going to say 450. Uh, we, uh, just uh, Pete's class has already done 252 boxes. And there's usually guides for the Operation Christmas Child boxes available to help you figure out what to put in there. It's usually some toiletries, some, some uh, fun things for the kids, some clothing like hat or scarf or gloves or all three. So uh, we packed a bunch of boxes last week, about 250, and they've added some since then, 240-something, and they've added more. So uh, be be aware of that. And then tonight um, is the beginning of the Cherish series. Yes, I know last week was the beginning of the Cherish series, but a transformer went boom, and we had no power here last Sunday night, so we didn't, we didn't have the class. So tonight, if you said, man, I really wanted to go, but I couldn't go the first one, so I wasn't going, tonight's the first one. So you can come tonight at 6 o'clock, and uh, we'll be doing the Cherish uh, series. I want to jump into the to this on prayer, and we're talking about supplication. We're basing, we, we base this sermon series on Second Chronicles seven fourteen. excuse me. Uh, all of a sudden, I had a lot of air that I didn't need, um, trying to escape in a, not a good way. Um, but Second Chronicles seven fourteen says, if my people who are called by my name, <laughs> I can't do the verse now because I've messed myself up. If my people are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, will hear their prayer, answer their prayer, and will heal their land. And so out of those things, he says prayer, and that's what I'm using that word for this part. And most of the times we use that, man, everybody jumps to prayer, but there's adoration in there, my people call by my name. There's confession in there, turning from their wicked ways, repenting. Um, there is thanksgiving uh, in there, humble themselves because you can't be thankful without being humble. And now supplication or prayer. Listen to what Oswald Chambers said about prayer. Prayer does not fit us for the greater works. Prayer is the greater work. We think of prayer as a common sense exercise of our higher powers in order to prepare us for God's work. In the teaching of Jesus Christ, prayer is the working of the miracle of redemption in me, which produces the miracle of redemption in others by the power of God. Now, if you were here last week, you're listening at all to uh, Justin as he uh, brought that message to us. That's exactly what he was saying. God's work redemption in me that he might use me to bring the message of redemption that God can work redemption in others by the power of God. The way fruit remains is by 
prayer. But remember, it is prayer based on the agony of redemption, not on my own agony. Only a child gets prayer answered. A wise man does not. And so, we come to this subject of prayer, and I want you to see a promise in John 15. And this is uh, uh, why I I use this uh, passage. Uh, And I marked all my spots, now i got to remember which ribbon goes to which one. John 15, and there's a long uh, passage here, um, semi-long. I'm going to read all 11 verses, uh, first 11 verses for you. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. And that's the key verse I want you to see there. Verse 8, by this my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Father, we ask that you would uh, bless your word today and that you would engrave it on our hearts that we might obey it in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to understand today that our confidence in prayer comes directly from abiding in Christ and Christ abiding in us, okay? Our confidence in prayer comes directly from us abiding in Christ and Christ abiding in us. We think of prayers a lot of times, people think of prayer in a very general way. I've heard people use the word prayer and those people don't even claim to know Christ. In fact, there are many uh, who talk of prayer in a sense of meditation. I'm going to give you some false ways. Others uh, uh, use prayer in the sense of repeated phrases, either as a meditation focus point or a prescribed segment repeated over and over, like the Catholics, uh, Hail Marys, uh, Muslims, they are just repeating um, Allah is great. Um, Eastern religions, they just pick a, you know, home. They're just meditating. Those are, those are false uses of prayer. But I also hear people that do not claim to know Christ that say, you'll be in my prayers. Sometimes even we as Christians say, I'll be praying for you, and then we never do it. Right? If, if you're going to tell somebody you're going to pray for them, pray for them when you say it right then with them. And so sometimes we use the word prayer even in a thoughtless way, even us as Christians. Uh, in, in fact, um, a, a rote prayer at meal, sometimes we just say it just to be saying words. Uh, sometimes people have called on me to pray for a meal, and I'll just go, okay, thank you. And then we eat. <laughs> and they're always shocked because they expect pastor, you know, to just, Bless the missionaries and all the heathen in Africa and all that stuff. And, uh, and, and, and so we need to be intentional in our praying and our asking of God what, what we want, what we want from him. Um, and, and even sometimes during a, a, a service like this, it's only a part of the agenda 
rather than from a relationship grounded in Christ. All of our praying, even if it's, it's time to pray, you know, we put it on our schedule, but then we ought to take a moment, pause ourselves, and set ourselves to pray. It ought to be intentional and thoughtful. Now, I'm not judging anybody's prayer, and I could not judge anybody's prayer. I can only judge myself, and, and I'm, so I'm speaking more for myself. I mean, as a kid, I learned, now I lay me down to sleep. You know, I learned uh, the blessing for the meal. I, I learned to say, dear Heavenly Father, or in Jesus' name. And there's nothing wrong with any of those phrases or any others that you might use or have learned. But are those phrases coming from that real relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, or is it just something we say because it's something that is in our head? There are many parts to prayer, many types of prayer. Within the parameters of this little series uh, uh, that, that I've used, I've broken down prayer into those four parts of adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and prayer. Uh, there might be other areas, uh, but we see these over and over. Today we come to that word supplication in this list, and, and I think of, su- we, of supplication in a very general way or praying. It's usually what we do when we ask people, we call people to pray, and we ask someone to pray. It's, it's, it's the asking of something from God, asking for his favor on us, asking for a specific thing. I looked it up. There are 58 references in the King James Bible uh, with the word supplication. The Old Testament word for supplication, the New Testament word for supplication, used for supplication, mean the exact same thing. It means a request or a prayer. It means to be asking for something. We find this word applied in the New Testament only six times. And I have these references, Acts 1.14, Ephesians 6.18. You're not going to get all these, but the notes are on the app. Uh, Philippians 4.6, 1 Timothy 2.1, 1 Timothy 5.5, and Hebrews 5.7. But I want to read two of those to you. In 1 Timothy um, 2.1... We find there uh, this. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people. There's four different things he says there. In other words, that Paul is using these four words, asking for people to pray. Supplication is request. Prayer is oration. That's when you're talking to God. Intercession is an interview. You are making an interview with God for someone else, and the giving of thanks shows gratitude. But it's very interesting in Hebrews 5, 7, the writer of Hebrews is talking about Jesus, and I don't know if you've ever caught this, but listen to what it says. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications. So he talked to God a lot, but he also asked from the Father for, for things. But notice what it says. Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. King James used the word fear, but it's the fear is in the sense of awe and worship of God. Then we have the verse we all quote. Although he were a son, yet he learned obedience through which he suffered. In other words, 
He obeyed God. He actively obeyed God by suffering for our sin and going to the cross. But as we know, in the garden, he was praying. And in that praying, he was in supplication asking God. And we know what he was asking. If there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. And God said, there's no other way. And he said, I've come to do the will of God. And he went to the cross for us. But I think it's important for us to realize that Jesus was crying out. The writer of Hebrews says it was a cry to God. It was crying out with tears to God. And so I've told you all of that. I've told you that we have to abide in Christ. So I want us to go back to John 15 and we want to talk about what it means to abide in Christ so that our prayers will be heard. Uh, I'm just going to start back at the beginning of the chapter and that's why I read it all so I wouldn't have to reread it. And we see the setup for our praying. Because verse 7 uh, says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. That's a pretty strong promise. Whatever I wish. Now, there are people who take that and run with it. Say, well, the reason you don't have a Cadillac. I always use Cadillac. I don't know. That's probably not even the car everybody wants anymore. But whatever your idea, the best car, the best house, whatever. People will use that verse. They see, if you just ask God, he said he'd give you whatever you wish. But that's ripping that out of context. And you got to start back at verse 1 where there's this setup. Jesus said, I am the true vine and my father's the vine dresser. Now, there's a couple important things here. In the Old Testament, this term of the vine is usually talking about Israel. Okay, usually the vine is Israel and it's usually when it's spoken of in the Old Testament, it is a sense of judgment is coming because the vine has not done what it was supposed to do. It wasn't producing as it was supposed to produce. And that is also true in this text. But what changes is Jesus doesn't say it's Israel. He says it's himself. Now, I hope you caught the bridge there. That Israel was supposed to bring about the Messiah and the Messiah was to be for all people, right? But the, the Jewish people kind of missed that salvation and relationship with God was with God was for the whole world. They thought they were the exclusive club and nobody else could get in that club basically. But Jesus changed it and says, no, I am the vine and all that are in Christ are in If Israel was the vine and now Christ is the vine, all who are in Christ are in, in Israel or in the people of God. Okay, you got to get that. Romans uh, 2, last verse. He is not a Jew who is one outwardly, who circumcisions of the flesh, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly, who circumcisions of the heart. In other words, not being physically Jewish or following Jewish law, but the people of God. We have become the body of Christ, the bride of Christ. We are the people of God, the building of Christ. And Christ is now the vine. He is the source of all that is produced. And then the second thing I want you to notice, and it's also in the Old Testament, that God, Yahweh, is the vine dresser or the gardener. He's the guy that is bringing judgment, saying, this vine is not producing, I'm going to cut it off. And in fact, in Romans, is it 9 or 10, he talks about the vine being uh, cut off and a new vine being grafted in, being the church, right? And so Romans covers all of these things that we are, we are the people of God because of Christ. And now we've been grafted into the kingdom of God because of Christ. And in this first verse, though, here's what I want you to catch. It's something, not only is it the sense of judgment that God is still the vine dresser and he's judging the fruit, but where is Christ? 
as the vine and the source of the branches, he has identified himself with us and saying the father is the gardener. The father, the vine dresser, is the one who comes and prunes the vine. So when a church is disobedient, when a church is not producing fruit as God intended, it is Christ who feels that pain. It is Christ who understands that because we are part of the vine. And so Christ identifies with us and we have that hope. It's not that it's God against us, but it is God with us and for us so that we can find the source of power that we need to produce fruit. The second thing, uh, well, that is the second thing. The father tends the garden. And we see that in verse 1. In verse 2, every branch that does not bear fruit, he takes it away. If you bear fruit, you are pruned so you'll bear more fruit. And then he says in verse 3, check this, you are already clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. In verse 2, he says, the father prunes. In verse 3, he says, but you're already clean. I want to give you a, a little insight here. If you get a Strong's Concordance and you look up this verse and you look up the word prune in verse 2 and the word clean in verse 3, you will see the exact same word. In other words, here's what Christ is saying. If you will abide in his word, that's self-pruning. The Father won't have to come prune you because you are so identified in Christ and you are following him so closely, no pruning is necessary because you will be bearing 100% of the fruit you ought to be bearing. For goodness sake, somebody say amen. Thank you. Whew. I thought y'all had gone to sleep on me for a second. <laughs> Scared me. Thought I was by myself all of a sudden. And so in verse 4, what does Christ come and say to us? Abide in me. It's, a, it's almost a, hey, listen, I don't want you to get pruned. I don't want the Father to have to cut back on you so that you can bear more fruit. I don't want you to have that pain. Abide in me. Let my source, let me be the source in your life. Let my power flow into you. And he goes on. He says, abide in me and I in you. Think about what he just said. You abide in me, I'm going to abide in you. It's going to get even stronger in verse 5. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I don't know if you ever had a, 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 a vine, a, a grapevine in your yard or, or been to see one. But can you imagine going up to the, to the branch that bears the fruit and breaking it off and just holding it out and going, okay, let's watch it. Let's watch it make grapes. It's not going to make grapes, is it? If you're just holding it out there somewhere, lay it on the counter. Well, I'm going to come back tomorrow and see if it's starting to bear grapes. No, because you separated it from the vine. You took the branch out of the vine, it dies. And so Christ is just saying something that ought to be common sense, but we don't think about it. If you abide in Christ and Christ is abiding in you, you will bear fruit. Now, when you reverse engineer all of this stuff, what does that mean? If you're not, a bear, uh, uh, if you're not bearing fruit, you're not abiding in the vine. Period. I mean, in fact, in verse 5, I told you it was going to get stronger. He says, you cannot bear fruit by yourself unless, the, the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Yeah, you said that already. I know I said that already and I'm repeating it because if you'd have got it the first time, I wouldn't have had to say it again. <laughs> is what God is saying to us. Abide in me and I in you. Verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me 
And here's the deal. There's a couple of words that aren't there in the Greek that are in English so we'll understand it. But basically Christ is saying, here's what he says, and here's how it reads in the Greek. Whoever abides in me and I you. He tightens that identification so that as we abide in Christ, he's saying we, are, we become one. What did Jesus pray in John 17? Father, make them one as you and I are one. So that as we have this relationship, they'll have that same relationship. Christ wants us to be one with him. And he says, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. I mean, it's like, it's redundant, but it's redundant because we are redundant. <laughs> I just made up a word there. Uh, didn't mean to say that, but it came to my head, so I let it out. We have to be that close. Now, I want you to get that sense. You, you, he, he's taking an Old Testament judgment picture it's not even a good word. I was reading commentaries on this, and it says you can't use the word metaphor. You can't use the word allegory. You can't use the word parable. You can't even use the word picture. This is just goes beyond all that. This is a relationship with God founded in Christ. And he's saying, if you abide in me, and you let me be in you, and you do all of this, these things, you will bear fruit because you can't do it apart from me. And check out verse 6. If anyone does not abide in me, He's thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. Now, I, I want to point something out. One commentary said that, that, that great branches aren't good for anything. Now, my wife disagrees. They're good for weaving into wreaths. And I've done that, and they get sticky when they get dry, and, and then you still got to stick flowers, artificial flowers or something in them before you hang them on the wall, right, or on the door. My wife likes wreaths on the door. I don't know why. Nobody died at our house. But anyway, they're there all the time. They drive me crazy, but it's okay. That's, we'll cover that and cherish later. All right? I'm, I'm trying to just be a little bit humorous. <laughs> but, but the only thing a branch is good for if it's not bearing fruit is to be burned now jesus doesn't say he'll judge that he says the father's the vine dresser he doesn't even make a judgment he just says just telling you if you're not bearing fruit you're not good for anything and in verse six there's our warning there's the ah but then he comes follows that with verse seven but if you abide in me and my words are living in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Now, we, we have to be careful about that. Um, before I get into to verse 7, because it's pretty strong. To abide me, and I've just like totally blown my outline. I'm just talking through these verses. Abide means to stay in a given place. 
in a state or relationship or expectancy. It means to continue or dwell or endure, be present, remain, stay, tarry. In other words, it's permanent. You better not pull out of that. You, you are there. You are always there. To abide means you don't walk away. You don't leave. Abide appears in verses 4, 5, 6, 7, and 10. But in verse 5, Christ is saying he abides in us as well as we abide in him. And in verse 7, he says, my words abide in you. And uh, notice in 5, I tell you, and I, you. And then the evidence of it is the bearing of fruit. And branches that bear no fruit can only be burned. But then we come to verse 7. The asking, the supplication. We can ask God whatever we wish and it will be done. But I want you to catch something here. We can ask what we wish because if we abide in Christ, it's his wish. That's the point. In fact, Jesus taught about praying in his name. And so I I said it in the introduction. I'm going to repeat it and I say it too and you do. So many times we pray and we say in Jesus' name and that's fine. I'm not. Sometimes I say this stuff and everybody gets all, you know, tightened up about how they sound when they're praying. Don't worry about it. Just pray. God will help you. But I want to point out that that is a phrase, but that isn't exactly. Jesus didn't say, say these words. He said, you can pray in my name. What does that mean? And, and, and I've, I've used several illustrations. One I used before and, and I've used it a lot. My child was in trouble. Had a friend from seminary and he lived in the area where their car was broken down and I got a hold of him he answered the phone he said what can I do for you my brother I said my child is in trouble he said no worries I got it now he didn't know my child never met my child but in my name he was willing to go see the relationship I people say I'm going to visit Charleston I said my sister lives there Here's their number. If you get in trouble, call. Say, Stuart told me to call you. In my name. That's what it means to pray in Jesus' name. It's not to just say in Jesus' name. It is literally to stand in the place where Jesus is and say, I come to this place in humility, but it's where Jesus told me to come. By his authority, I'm asking for this. Now, I think if you really got there in your heart, soul, mind, and spirit, and body, and imagination you won't come to God asking for Cadillacs you'll come to God in fear and trembling and walk boldly to the throne of grace as it says in Hebrews and there receive from God what we need to do the work he gave us to do this is the point of supplication this is the point of second chronicles 7 14 this is the point of our praying that God's will be done on this earth In Psalm 2, that the nations will be given to the Son as his gift, as his inheritance. And he made us, thank you, Justin, last week, he gave us the ministry of reconciliation, the message and now the ministry to go into all the world and preach the gospel. And we have the promise of John 15, 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, it will be done because your wish is in Jesus' name already. Wow, I got excited reading it. Man, let me tell you, I, I should have worn my seminary ring because that verse, John 15, 7, is engraved on it because that's the motto of that school. It will be done. Why will it be done? I can't even imagine that. Well, verse 8 tells you. 
If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away. Ask what you wish. Verse 8, by this my Father is glorified. Did we have a sermon recently on sola dea gloria? To God alone be the glory? Jesus isn't doing this to make me have my best life now. He's doing this so that the Father can be glorified in the Son. Whew, man, this is good stuff. I'm glad y'all are here to listen in because I'm just preaching at me hard right now. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Wait a minute, that just went from glory to uh uh-oh. If I'm not bearing fruit, I'm not proving to be his disciple. We bear much fruit in him. We prove that we are his disciple by bearing fruit. You know, when Jesus said in the verses before, without me, you can do nothing. Nothing is not something. And something is not nothing. Right? So, if we abide in him, we can do something. Follow me? But without him, we can do nothing. And if you're doing nothing... You're only good to be cut off and burnt. Now, I don't understand. I, I don't claim to have full God understanding on what I just said. But, but, but I would point this out. The branches are in the vine before they're not bearing fruit and are cut off. I don't know how that works out. Maybe this is a picture and an image that might not follow. But the point is this. If you're not bearing fruit, you're not really in the vine. Because you can't, you can't be in the vine and not bear fruit. And you can't bear fruit unless you're in the vine. You with me? So this is a self-examining question. What is the fruit of my life? Do I even care about the will of God? Do I pray? Do I enjoy the fellowship of other believers? Do I search God's word for his will? Do I speak of him? Do I do all the things that we should do? But notice the result of abiding in Christ in verse 9 and 10. First of all, there, the Father loved me, so I've loved you. Abide in my love. We have the love of the Father in us. In verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. When we abide in him, we keep his commandments, and that shows we're abiding in his love, just as Jesus was abiding in the Father's love and kept his commandments. And then he says, these things I've spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Jesus gets joy when we abide in him and he gives us that power. He wants to give us what we need. We go to God as if he doesn't want to give us his goodness, his his grace, his power to do the job he gave us. He really wants to do it for us. But he's not going to give us power just to be wasted. He's not going to fill the tank for us to park the car. Right? He's going to give us what we need when we do the work. And so then he says, and when you do that, you'll have my, I'll have joy and I'm going to put my joy in you and your joy will be full. Man, that would be so awesome to always have the joy of Christ in us. Well, what can we do about that? Well, this week, what is it that you kneel down and cry out to God with tears for? I know that's a bad English structure, but for what? For what is it that you bow down in prayer and crying out to God? Because God will give you that answer if you're abiding in Christ. 
And, and, and sometimes we struggle with how do I start doing that? How do I start abiding in Christ? What does that mean? It means to stay in him. It means that from him, everything I want or need is in him. That there's nothing outside of God that I want or need. That, that, is, where, that is where I get everything I need. Now, God gives us other things in our life. We live in a world, we got things around us. And I, and I don't mean to call people things, but we have families. We have friends. We have church. We have all those other we're calling them things, but they're God things that God gives us, and that's fine. But are we having all of those things, those relationships, and the power and the attitude of Christ? Are we doing that with eternity in mind? That we've not been put here for a brief time just to be here for a brief time and leave, but we're here for a brief time in order to have an impact in eternity. And we've only got a moment to do that. The Bible talks about some Old Testament saints that says that they understood the times and knew what to do. The Bible says in the New Testament, David, after he accomplished the will of God for him, for in his life, died. Because we can only do the will of God for our life in our lifetime. But it should, but it should keep going. On and on and on and on and on. Yesterday afternoon, my, my wife and I were cleaning up the garden that's quit blooming and it's time to prune back and cut back on certain things. And I got to thinking, man, I cut some of those things down to the ground. And next summer, they'll be so thick, I can't get around them. That sounds crazy. But they don't go away. They come bursting back next spring. And no matter how dry you might feel, no matter how pruned you might feel, if you feel pruned, thank God. Hebrews 12, he disciplines those he loves. And if you felt the pruning, that's God saying, hey, I think you can do even better than that. And he, he's going to cause new growth to come out and new things to happen. But are you, are you coming to him with your needs? Are you coming to him in prayer and asking him for his will to be done. Again, I refer to the prayer we call the Lord's Prayer. The, the adoration, our Father who art in heaven, holy is your name. Your will be done. Your kingdom come on earth as it's done in heaven. Is that our prayer first? And that God would use us. And so that's the second thing I've already talked about. Are you abiding in Christ and his word abiding in you? This is how we know the will of God. This is how we abide in Christ. We find the encouragement and strength from here, what he says, and that comes into our heart and then it's lived out in our life. And then thirdly, I, these are just questions. These aren't really things to do, but they are <clears throat> questions for you to ask and ponder for yourself. So what is your fruit? So many times we talk about fruit, we only talk about people being saved that we've witnessed to. And that is part of fruit. But I would encourage you to understand in Galatians 5, we have the fruit of the Spirit. That is fruit of God in your life. And are you, do those descriptors describe your life? Love, joy, peace, gentleness, kindness. All those things that are listed there. The fruit of the Spirit. Is that evident in your life? Is, is the disciplines of God, are the disciplines of God evident in your life? Prayer, fasting, all the things we mentioned. So all of that is involved in the fruit. But what is your fruit? Are you growing in Christ or are you sitting still? Or are you ignoring Christ? Or are you studying, reading, searching, praying, having fellowship in, in an attempt to grow and help others grow? All of that produces fruit. And once we are fruitful, God will bring the increase of, of souls that he wants 
And, and it's not either or. It's not you got to do one before the other. It's all together at the same time. But I don't want you just to hear me when I say, what does the fruit in your life say? Well, I haven't led anybody to the Lord lately. I, I want you to understand there's a lot of fruit that God expects us to bear in our relationships and, and how we conduct our life and all those things. And out of that overflow, we are showing Christ to people who need to know him. And we see them come to salvation. And then we have to teach them the things that we've learned. So don't forget what I told you at the very beginning. Our confidence in prayer comes directly from abiding in Christ and Christ abiding in us. And when that happens, ask what you wish and it'll be done that the Father might be glorified in the Son. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for your merciful kindness. We thank you for your abundant love.